podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co, where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Barbless Podcast. I'm Nick Hanna. Um, this is the second to our On the Water series. I'm floating with uh, Jeff Helfrich from Tight Lines Outfitters. Jeff is a third-generation guide on the Middle Fork of the Salmon. First permit ever to float the Middle Fork of the Salmon offered to this family. Um, they have a world-class float for anybody who's looking to see the most beautiful canyon, catch a 100-plus cutthroat trout, and just be in a, a good environment with good people. Um, this is an awesome trip I highly recommend. Um, had a great time with these guys. So uh, on this episode, I'll be floating down with Jeff and hearing a little bit about that history um, and all that they provide. Um, again, world class. So hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and thanks again for listening. Again, give us a call if you guys want to uh, have any ideas in regards to these podcasts. We're always looking for, for insight. Um, you can find us or give us a call at 530-636-2523 or fishon at barbless.co. All right. Thanks, guys. Tight lines. Sure. Yeah, no, we, uh, I mean, our family business really more or less started in 1925, right on the McKinsey River. Kind of spread from there to the Rogue River in the early 30s. And that was my granddad, Prince Helfrich, that started it then. And uh, then after the 30s, they came here in the, you know, 1940 or so to get started on this river. And my, my granddad had three, three sons, which one, of course, was my dad, and then Dave Helfrich and Dean Helfrich, which were all guides and outfitters also, pretty yeah. much all on the same river. Dave and Dean, yeah, I remember hearing those names. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Dave has passed away now. He passed away just this last year. But uh, he was the oldest of the three. And then uh, they all had sons, which Dave had his son, Ken. And uh, my dad was Dick. And I, I had a couple sisters. And then there was uh, Dean Helfrich, which had three sons. And so they're actually all in the guiding business also. Wow. But we do pretty much the same rivers, the Rogue River, uh, in the fall for steelhead, the middle fork of the salmon here. We do the main salmon for steelhead in the fall, cast and blast. I've heard about that cast and blast. That sounds it, pretty fun. It is. It's a real fun trip. Grouse? Uh, mainly chuckers. Chuckers, that's Chucker right. and Hungarian partridge. Wow. And uh, then we're fishing for adult steelhead there, the big guys, and, and also for smallmouth bass. Oh, which cool. are fabulous to eat. Roy's got to be the best bass fisherman I've ever seen. <laughs> He's good at it. Of course, he lives right there, but yeah, boy, yeah. He, he can really catch those bass and he flays them out. 
You know, he can be moving and rolling and he's flaying them out at the same time. <laughs> Sounds like Roy. I think Roy was born a century too late. <laughs> but once I, when I bought the business from my dad, I named it Tight Lines Inn. It used to be just Dick Helfrich, you know, guide service. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so we always thought, well, we should name a business Tight Lines, cheap but risky guide service. <laughs> <laughs> so we left off the cheap but risky and just called it Tight Lines. I like it. Now there's lots of Tight Lines things on the internet. We actually kind of get lost on there, I think. Oh, yeah. If you Google it, it used to be there was us and you one pop company. pop right up, yeah. yeah. one company from Florida. And now there's, boy, there's just a ton of them. How would uh, people get a hold of you if they wanted to? What's the best way? Best way is to, uh, to email me or call. We have a, an, whoop, there was a fish up there, Doug. Yeah, right by your slide. Yeah. We have an 800 number, but you can reach us at jeff at tightlinesfishing.com. And, uh, or we, I also have another email, which is, is fishor9446 at aol.com. Yep. But uh, if, you, if you were to Google, uh, you know, tight lines fishing, we'll, we'll come up with that. Oh, okay, great. I feel really lucky that, you know, Steve Schaefer started working for my dad in about 1973, I think. That's amazing. And he's, yeah, he's been with us ever since. And then his brother, Dave, was working with us in too. And Dave uh, still helps me on the Rogue River. Oh, wow. He doesn't come over here anymore. But both really good guys are completely different guys, but they're both really, really good guys. I've been so impressed with all the guys you have working for us and what, what they've done to, you know, cater us and have a good time out here. It's been it's super impressive. Well, I feel really lucky to be able to find all these guys that are such you know good boaters great people and yeah you know they they kind of blend in now when we get somebody new they kind of see everybody's doing their job so what do i do so right, they, they right. get in and everybody just looks for a job yep how'd drake do did he do good oh he did great yeah. yeah yeah he's you know he's actually worked with my cousin a lot ken and he doesn't come over here much anymore drake's a great guy too he's yeah one of those guys that just well, he'll jump right in and do anything he can yeah yeah I think everybody just enjoys what they do. That makes them come out here and want to do it, have fun. Like the trip that everybody's going on after this one, going to the Lower Main Salmon. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a totally different kind of trip than this. Just, but it's more just a raft, you know, splash and giggle and yeah. a little fishing and yeah. but huge, big, long sandy beaches. Oh wow! Stuff like that. It's beautiful campsites down there. Yeah could imagine. But I like to go down there. It's it's kind of hot for me to go down there in the summer, but I love it down there in the fall when we're fishing for steelhead. And all these big rapids knock all this debris and sediment off and it gathers down there in the salmon, I'm sure. That, it yeah. does. It's yeah. amazing. You, you know, it's kind of interesting. I floated the snake down there before too. So when you come down the snake below Hell's Canyon, there's no sandbars. All the sand gets held up by the big dams. Oh, so there's, yeah. I mean, you're camping in rocks every wow. night until wow. you pass the Salmon River. Once you pass the salmon, then there's... You get those sand beaches. Yeah, big, long, sandy beaches, and it's beautiful. So in 1940, Prince, your grandfather, came from Eugene? Yep. Drove yep. three days from Eugene to the Middle Fork yep. and, floated, and floated this for the first time. That's right. And they launched up... Of course, the road didn't come in where we drove into Boundary Creek. Uh -huh. So the road only came in to where uh, Bear Valley Creek and Marsh Creek 
combine to form the middle fork. Okay. So that's about 14 miles back upstream yeah, from yeah. where we launched. Okay. And so they launched there. So one of the, the issues they had to deal with too was portaging around Dagger Falls. Yeah, oh yeah. Which is a big sheer drop. Yeah. So that would always take them, you know, half a day or so. My dad always used to tell the story about one time they were portaging the boats there and, and there was a salmon fisherman. They put in a fish ladder there, mm -hmm. but th they could still salmon fish there. And there was a salmon fisherman in there and uh, he had a salmon tied up by the tail. And anyway, I guess the guy helped him kind of get, get some of the boats around. And anyway, when all was said and done, he went back and somebody had, had let his salmon go. Oh no. And he was really upset about it here after he just helped him. Oh yeah, yeah. My dad always claimed that it was his little brother that did it. <laughs> <laughs> just being a little shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a guy probably, that was probably his dinner. Oh, I bet. Well, I've never done anything like this, floating 100 miles down a river and catching cutthroat while you're doing it. It's pretty awesome. Well, it's, you know, it sure is interesting. The first two days were pretty slow fishing for this trip. Really? And I mean really slow compared to how it should be at this water level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's what makes me kind of wonder if due to the severe winter last year, you, you bet. higher I, mortality of fish. You bet. I think that's statewide, you know. A lot of our rivers suffered too through, I think through some of that. Yeah, I was glad to see it start picking up there about the third day. And, and they probably got pushed all the way down, you know, and now they're just trying to make their way back. Yeah. If they, you know, if they didn't die. A lot of them, the fishing game tells us that a lot of these fish will actually migrate down here during the winter. Right. And but I, it makes me almost wonder, maybe due to global warming, because it hasn't been such severe winters, they were staying up in there more. Yeah. And so oh, that yeah, kills yeah. a bunch of them. Yeah. Because it's when it freezes over, why the whole thing will completely freeze. Does and, it really? Yeah. It get it, the whole top just even in where rapids are and stuff, it'll freeze over in those areas. Are you kidding? That's got to be wild to see. I was on it one time. I heard we were you. We were elk hunting, and we we ended up not floating, which we made a great decision. And the river froze over. That was a an amazing looking deal. We were right there at Indian Creek Airfield uh -huh. that we went by, and it just I mean it was, you know, minus ten or twelve every night. So oh it was my, really bitterly cold. Oh my gosh. So we start our season every spring right there on the Mackenzie, and just doing you know day fishing trips, and then we kind of migrate over here for the summer then in the fall we're down on the rogue most of the time and then coming back to idaho for a few cast and blast but wow. that keeps us pretty busy during those six months do you ever uh, go yourself and fish the coast on, in oregon or? i do yeah, yeah. in fact uh, i used to winter steelhead fish a lot yeah just guiding but now i just primarily do it for fun yeah that's just go great. over there and I, I love steelhead fishing yeah. so yeah travel over there i fish the umpqua quite a bit that's, that's probably the that's, biggest that's, fishery in the state really for, yeah. for steelhead and i think they're the best steelhead of the oh, state i mean they they are just red hot and they are big and tanks in there. i know <laughs> i think that's the best place i have a chance i have a catch of 20. A 20 pound fish on, on a fly rod. Yeah. You know? I, I got a 20 pounder one time there drifting mm -hmm. bait. It was about 21 pounds. Mm -hmm. But the biggest one I ever got was up on the Queets River in Washington. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that they get bigger as you go up. Boy, yeah. They. <laughs> my dad used to guide the Olympic Peninsula in the early uh -huh. 60s. So oh, cool. we started going back up there just fishing for fun a few times and yeah. we'd get some nice big fish. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, we fish. Uh, we like, I love to swing, but we do a lot of beads under an indicator. Right. Yeah. And we were on the Chetco one year, and five days we hooked like 50 steelhead really? or something oh, like wow. that. The, the bait guys were rowing back up the inside, looking into my boat <laughs> to see what the hell we were using, because we were. I mean, we were just knocking the shit out of it. Really? Them. Huh. It was super low and clear, so our our. Oh. That technique of just floating the indicators and, yep. and small beads under, you know, it that was deadly. small like that, they like then, don't they? It was deadly, yeah. We you just, know, when we used to bait fish, we would, when the water got, the lower it got, the, the smaller, smaller the we bait. would go. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes still we would spook them. And... Yeah, that North Umpqua and uh, main stem of the Umpqua there by Elkton is, I've had some good days. I used to section. fish that North Fork in, uh, for summer steelhead a lot too. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Put in at Whistler's Bend Park and float to the freeway. Oh cool. And uh, there was one pretty good rapid. I was going to so... say there is one in below yeah. Whistler's. My brother. So my brother lives in Phoenix. Oh okay. So he we I go up there quite a bit and yeah. fish with him. You know what? But he gotta... told me about that rapid. He's like, you don't. <laughs> He's like, you can take it in a raft, but I wouldn't do it in a drift boat. He did it. You know, it didn't like it. Yeah, there's a way to get around it. When the water gets real low, you can't go over that falls. But there's a little side channel you have to cut over before you get down to it, and it's narrow, and you got to. I mean, your boat just barely fits through it. But that's how I used to get through it. I I generally drop my guys off, and yeah, yeah, and I yeah. could go down, and run it empty, and then pick them back up. Is it still like that? Yeah. Yeah. Still same thing there. Is that on the left bank? It's river on the left. left or? Yep, yep. River left. You uh, you just kind of start working to the left, mm -hmm. and you could you could probably even park above there and walk down and kind of look at it. One time on the the main fork of the Umpqua in the winter time, I had a couple guys. We were just plug fishing, mm -hmm. and uh, that's fun. And I we get to this spot, and I told them, okay, guys, be ready because this one's really been hot. It's up up above Elkton a little ways, and one guy bends over to pour himself a cup of coffee just after I say that, his rod exited the boat oh, so fast. Oh, and it was a, this big fish just starts jumping. And it's got its plug in its mouth, and we see the rod actually skiing across the water part of the way. <laughs> and then it went down. And so I stop, and I've got a, a bait rod there. I'm trying to catch the line and stuff, but never did get it. Wow. God, it was terrible to lose that. It was, a, it was a big fish. It was a 20-pounder oh, plus. Wow. He jumped like eight times with that thing in his mouth. But I know you can catch those big fish on beads, but yeah. I, I, most of the time we're getting the 28, 32-inch. That's like super average for that uh -huh. technique. But I think swinging flies, I mean, if you want it, that's going to bring out the bigger fish. Just because you're plugging, you know, same with thing with plugging. Right, yeah. That kind of tends to get the bigger fish, like on the eel and uh -huh. some of the rivers that we... That we fish. Yeah, if you ever want a report from the Umpqua or anything, just email me and okay, because I I watch that pretty close. We we generally, you know, like last year, it was almost unfishable for yeah. us the whole time. Do you know I, the Wolf Brothers? Uh, you know, I've you heard of them. them. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know them personally, but uh -huh. I've heard of them. Great guys, they've been second generation guides. I mean, okay. even third generation guides in that area. Huh. There's the. Uh, the Greaves, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mm -mm. Kern Greave Guide Service. Mm -mm. They were up on the Upper Rogue up near Shady Cove. Oh, okay. And then he had, uh, she had three sons. And uh, Don Greave actually bought Fox Bay Lodge in Alaska. But they had investors kind of buy it for him. Oh, yeah. And then they, they didn't like the way he was running it, and the investors took it back from him. Oh, wow. So, but then uh, Vernon Greave, who was a younger brother, he still runs the Rogue. They... Those guys, you know, when we got uh, that, the wild and scenic section there on the Rogue is uh, um, artificial lure only. Yeah. And we were, 
instrumental in getting it passed. Cool. Well, when we went to the fish and game to their final meeting, you should have seen it, Nick. There's like eight of us on one side of the room. There's like 60 guys on the other side and a bunch of our friends, but they're, st they're pissed at us because they say, you know, we've bait fished this river all these years and this is how, you know, this, this is how we make a living. And, and uh, God, those guys were mad at They wouldn't even talk to us for well, quite a while. If, if you want it sustainable and there for your kids and their kids, exactly, you got to yeah. start doing some of this stuff. There was some stuff going on. The reason I got on board that, these guys would stay with us at one of the lodges one night and they were always bringing in these big adult fish and cleaning them. And I remember seeing them a couple times and they were natives. And I said, well, why, why was it, why'd you guys keep that? Well, it was hooked deep, you know, and so we just decided we would keep it. Well, they were, those guys were selling fish. Uh, they weren't just selling a fishing trip. They were, I mean, they were putting all these fish in coolers and giving coolers to their clients to take home. Oh, wow. Instead of just, you know, catching, and releasing, and, and yeah. like you say, being sustainable with it. Yeah. And yeah. so anyway, it was, uh, it was, it really ticked me off when I started seeing that kind of stuff going on. And I thought, well, yeah, I want to get on board with this. And we didn't think there's much of a chance, but we went to the, the fish and game board and said, you know, look, this is a really special piece of water. It's wild and scenic. Let's, let's keep it special. And by God, they passed it. Then those guys tried, uh, they've tried three times to repeal that. Oh, gee, and it'll never, it'll never change. That'll never go away. No, I hope not. And of course, they actually kind of get away with some stuff now. Oh, they no, I'm sure. they use a lot of scent, which I think should be illegal also. But they use those uh, uh, the yarn balls with yep. scent on them. Yep. They actually soak them in that scent all night. <laughs> but the Smith River was like that. It you know we could use barbs and catch wild steelhead. It was the last river in California that it, they would allow you to do that. Really? Huh? And then they changed it a couple you know back. A couple of years ago and yeah now it's barbless and uh, catch and release at least the wild you know if you get a hatchery you can keep it yeah well that's but, good that that's a, a gorgeous river too yeah yeah that's i used to fish that in those tournaments down there uh, you know uh -huh. those uh cow ore derbies that they had mm -hmm. i never caught very many fish those other guys knew it so well you know they'd get out there was a guy named gary lindstrom that yep. lived right there yep. gary was a great fisherman yeah yeah uh, you know you knew gary yeah yeah, he got it. Hard he, guy, right? Hardcore guy. Yeah. Kinda, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he won the tournament one year, and when almost nobody caught any fish because it was extremely low and clear, and and uh, he knew how to do oh, it. Oh, he huh? did. Yeah, he, he. I fished with him the first time I fished on the river. He guided me really? down with my dad. Yeah. Oh, I hooked, I'll be darned. I hooked 15 steelhead. Really? Did wow. Not, no, I'm sorry. Eight steelhead. Ooh, there's one. God damn it. <laughs> eight steelhead and didn't land a single Ooh, one. There, there you go. Is. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't land a single one. I think it's the it's the Indian, not the arrow, Doug. <laughs> Looks good to me. <laughs> um, we were going down. It was my first experience side drifting with conventional gear, and my rod's tipping, ticking like this, uh -huh. and then all of a sudden it just it start doing that, and he's like, "Set!" And I'm like, "I don't even know." I'm like, "What?" Yeah. Set! <laughs> and then sure enough, eight pound steelhead <laughs> flying out of the water, hitting water, and then off. And I'd stand up, you know, and to fight the fish, uh -huh. I wanted to stand up. He kept slamming me down in the seat. Really? He didn't want me standing up. He didn't want other people knowing that oh, I was I hooked up, you know, he wanted to keep Real it. Real secretive yep, about it. Oh, yeah. 
And then we came down out of the uh, forks and I hooked like a 15 plus pound steelhead. Ooh, wow. That just start, was kept going up river. And it was a fun first experience on that, on that place. I don't, did I tell you how we float the forks now? No. So I've got a two man raft and I'll throw my, it, and it's a small section that's only five miles or uh -huh. something like that, you know, but um, it's all class uh, two, maybe three, but it, we, up to five, but uh -huh. it, it's only two or three. So that, that's up on the Smith? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're go, you guys are going up quite a ways then. A little bit, yeah, and then um, it's just like having a, a world-class fishery to yourself. Really? Because wow, nobody, nobody wants to get in there and do that. Huh. Uh, float, you get to fish you know. that pocket water and stuff in there. Yep. Huh. Yep. Um, what What's your for like winter steelhead? What What do you feel like is your best fly, Nick? Mm -hmm. If you're just just if you just want to go out and catch a winter steelhead for swinging or for swinging or dead drifting. Um, uh, so on, and for uh, trout beads makes a bead that's called Charisse. Charisse, huh? Okay. And it's kind of a clear looking bead that's pink. Okay. And we paint it with pink nail polish huh. and it glows. It turns it into a glowing pink bead. Ah, huh. I'll be darned. And uh, it's freaking deadly. Really? It is a deadly fly. It I'll depends have to look on for the, that one. I've, I've got an account with them. I buy a lot of their hooks and stuff. Yep. And it depends on their, uh, so I buy owner hooks and their beads. Okay. I don't like their hooks, but I'm, I get real particular about that, you know, just because that's going to, you know, basically determine whether you're going to land a fish yeah. or not, I think. So I try to get those really sharp owners. Those are good. Those owner makes the jig hooks that we buy. Oh, really? Yeah. They've got one that it, it's uh, the, the front part where you put the bead on, it's, uh, it's at a 45 degree angle. You know, some of them just are 90 degrees. Oh, yeah. We like the one that's at a 45. Yep. And they, they make those hooks. Plus, they're just super sharp. So. Um, so that's clear water. When it gets darker, the brighter and darker the bead. So bright pink, it's called shrimp color. Uh-huh. Shrimp is a really good one too. Huh, okay. So those are the two favorite. And then we actually found this one this year called, uh, it's like hot cherry or something like that. Huh. And um, that one has been a really good one for us. Um, so that's what I, lo I love. And it, we do the 12 and 14 millimeter beads. Okay. Just yeah. one of them. Not the real big ones then. Yeah, they are the yeah they are kind of big. They're okay. 14 and 12 millimeters. All right. And we, we usually use just one. That's got to get a fish in there, Doug. So, and you have the, your hook, what, like two inches below yep. that bead? Yep. And I've never, the small trout I've hooked outside, you know, and uh -huh. I don't like, it obviously sucks. But those bigger fish, I've never, they're always right in the nose, right in the mouth or in the, in the huh. corner, yeah. Never hooked or scarred them. Ever. Really good. Yeah. Huh. So that, I feel good about fishing that way for them. Um, and then when for swinging, um, just anything purple and black or black. Okay. Pink, In, purple, and intruder black. Intruder or something. Or? Yep. Yep. I've tried some of the the jig flies that we use in Alaska on some of our local rivers and they never seem to, to work. So then really? we always go back to like the, the beads and stuff there. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird though. I, I don't know why they wouldn't work. I think they, they do and would. It's probably just more like water clarity and time of year. Yeah. And, but I think you're right. I think I think those the fish like from Washington up, you know, mm -hmm. will eat those a lot better than they do. Yeah. For whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of that weird, is. isn't it? <laughs> Nick, do you ever get a chance to, to spay fish much? Yeah, I, I do enjoy that a lot, actually. I had a, I built an 11 and a half, eight, seven, eight weight. Uh-huh. And uh, used that for indicator and swinging. I loved it for indicator fishing. I could, 
It's like having a drift boat without, but not, at, you know, but if you're on a, out on the water. Yep. If you're not on, <laughs> if you're on a bank and you want to make a good long drift, those, yeah. those things are awesome. I've got an 11 foot uh, switch rod uh -huh. that I sure That's like. That's basically what it was. Yeah. yeah. I found a, doing a lot of big mins and stuff with that. I found a line that Rio makes. It's got like a 54, 55 foot head on it. Oh yeah. It works great for that. All right, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you guys want to contact uh, Jeff or Tightlines, best place to do that is 1-877-855-6270 or you can go to their website at tightlinesfishing.com. Again, highly recommend it for a, a trip of a lifetime down the middle fork of the salmon. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, FishBio and Amp.Build. FishBio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, FishBio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And Amp.Bill. Amp is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. Amp creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. Amp develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.bill.